Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is today's gospel, Luke chapter 20, and we'll hear again these words. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there's an old traditional Hebrew story that goes like this. Abraham is sitting outside his tent one evening when in the distance he sees an old man coming toward him, weary from age and from the journey. So Abraham jumps up and he runs out to the man and invites him into his tent. He shows him hospitality. He washes his tired feet. He he sets a meal before the man. The man begins to eat the meal without saying any prayer or blessing. And so Abraham asks him, don't you worship God? To which the old man replies, I worship fire and reverence no other God. At this, Abraham is very upset. He grabs the man by the shoulders and he throws him out into the cold night air. Later, God appears to Abraham and asks him, Where is the uh, old man who came to you the other night? And Abraham says, Well, I threw him out because he doesn't worship you. And God looked at Abraham and said, You know, I've suffered that old man these past 80-some years, even though he dishonors me, and couldn't you handle having him in your presence for just one night? Now, of course, that's just an old traditional story. It's not scripture. And yet I think it does highlight a basic scriptural truth. Our God is incredibly patient, so much more patient than we are. And his patience is on beautiful display in the portion of God's word before us today. On the basis of our text today, I want to encourage all of you to be astounded at God's patience. You see, God shows his patience in sending servants of the word over and over again. And he shows his patience in sending us his one and only son to redeem us. Jesus is, of course, the master teacher, the greatest teacher who ever lived, and he often taught by means of stories. He told parables. Now, a parable is basically just a story that has something to do with an everyday activity of life, but then that story teaches a deeper spiritual truth. And it can help us when looking at Jesus' parables to consider some of the main details. For example, in our parable, the vineyard stands for Israel. The master of the vineyard, of course, is God himself. The servants that he sends are the prophets and the tenants who rent out the vineyard. They are the Jews and especially the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the chief priests. Now the situation that's portrayed in this parable is a very common one in Jesus' day. Wealthy landowner would have lots of plots of ground. He would rent them out as vineyards to farmers and then later on he would come back to collect rent which would be in the form of the produce that came out of that vineyard. Well, sadly, in this case, the renters didn't have any intention of sharing any of the fruit with the landowner. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. 
Now, it's obvious to us, and it was obvious to the people who first heard Jesus teach this parable, that he's really talking about the history of God's chosen people. Oh, how God had been gracious to them, how he had blessed them in every way. He cared for their every need in body and soul. He was like a loving husband to them. But they were an unfaithful wife. They prostituted themselves with false gods. They imitated all of the godless practices, the immoral practices of the heathen nations around them. And so what did God do about all this? Well, he sent them the prophets, one after the other. Men of the word who proclaimed that word and called God's people to repentance. Men right like Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel and John the Baptist. Some listened to these prophets, but for the most part, they were not at all well received by God's people. In fact, in Hebrews, we read this description of how they were treated. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. God's chosen people treated the messengers of the word that he sent them just shamefully. How do we treat the messengers of, the God, of God's word that he sends to us? Now, I don't ask that question as a messenger of God's word, as a pastor, because I feel that I have been horribly mistreated here at Emmanuel. So far, no one has tried to stone me or saw me in two, and for that, I am truly grateful. In all seriousness, I really am grateful to be here at Emmanuel, and of course, consider it a tremendous privilege and an evidence of God's grace that I get to serve as a public minister of the gospel at all. And yet, my my friends, this is a good opportunity for us to think about how we think of and how we treat the messengers of God's word that he sends us, our pastors, our teachers, the elected leaders of our congregation. And just think about that for a second. Do we always hold them in high regard? Or do we often seize opportunities to talk about them behind their backs and run them down? Do we look to them as those who are to preach and teach God's word of truth to us? Or do we sometimes think that they really should entertain and amuse us? Do we consider them as God's own representatives to us? Or do we sometimes think of them only as employees? Are we glad to honor them by generously providing for their physical and material needs? Or do we sometimes complain that they're a little overpaid? And most importantly, my friends, do we hear and believe and put into practice the message that they share with us from God's Word? Or would we rather that they just tell us what our itching ears want to hear? It's pretty clear, isn't it, my friends, that we don't always think of God's messengers highly or treat them as he would have us treat them. We don't always listen to them or appreciate their work. And yet... God just keeps sending them to us, doesn't he? Over and over again. Why? Is he crazy? Is he clueless? No. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's patient. So very patient. Listen to how Scripture describes God's patience. Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. 2 Peter 3, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. 
He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the God who wants all people, and that means all people, to be saved. This is the God who takes absolutely no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is the God who wants to spend all of eternity with you and me. Now, I've got to be honest with you, my friends. I think if I was in God's place during the Old Testament, I would have put up with Israel's shenanigans for about 10 minutes. And still being honest here, I think if I were in God's place and I looked at me, I would put up with my shenanigans even less. Thankfully, I'm not God. And God is not a man. Be thankful for that as well. God is God. And that means he is astounding in his patience. Just look at how over and over and over again he sent those prophets. He still sends messengers of the word to unfaithful people to call them to repentance. And as if that wasn't enough, God even sends his one and only son for undeserving sinners like you and me. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. You know, as is often the case when you're looking at one of our Lord's parables, it's realistic to a point, and then often it becomes a little unrealistic. It takes a turn even for the surreal. Think about this for a second. What vineyard owner in his right mind would send his son, whom he loves and cares for, to a bunch of ruffians who already mistreated every single servant and messenger that he sent to them? Well, as it just so happens, God would. And God did. That's his grace, isn't it? And let's never forget that God's grace is, frankly, kind of unrealistic. I mean, it's unrealistic, isn't it, that God himself would come down into our world and humble himself, give up his divine power and honor and glory for a time and live humbly in our flesh under his own laws? But that is exactly what our God did for us. And isn't it unrealistic that our Lord Jesus himself, while we were still sinners, would die for us? But that's exactly what he did. He gave up his life for us, the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God, to ransom us from our slavery to sin and to death. My friends, it's totally unrealistic that anybody would ever rise from the dead. And I mean really rise bodily, flesh and blood, fully alive from the grave. And yet that is, of course, exactly what our Lord Jesus did. He did what he always said he was going to do. And he rose on the third day. And my friends, because Jesus did all of these unheard of and unrealistic things, we have some pretty unlooked for blessings, don't we? We have pardon for every one of our sins and peace with our God forever and ever. What a gift our patient God has given us in his Son. How did God's chosen people respond when God sent them that gift? Well, by and large, like this. When the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. You know, there are basically just two reactions that anybody can have to our Lord Jesus, faith or unbelief. There is no in-between. There is no middle ground. Either you believe in Jesus or you don't. And those who reject him in unbelief 
will face nothing but an eternity of death and an eternity of suffering in hell. God forbid, indeed, because that hellish punishment is beyond our imagination. And that's why Jesus speaks a warning. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. That's a quote of Psalm 118. And basically Jesus was saying this, A cornerstone is a wonderful thing to have, a wonderful foundation for anything that you build which provides safety and stability. But if you're not careful in how you use that cornerstone, it can kill you if it drops on you or you fall against it. I am the cornerstone, Jesus says. Build your faith and your life on me. Don't reject me in unbelief, or you will be crushed, and your life will be broken to pieces forever and ever. By the way, I think it's worth noting, and it's really interesting, that the word that's used here for Jesus looking directly at them is the very same word and phrase used for when Jesus looked directly at Peter right after he denied his Savior. Remember that scene? Remember that look? It was a look of deep love and compassion. It was really a gracious and a patient call to repentance. You see, Jesus was desperate for the hearers of his parable to realize their error, repent of their sin, and recognize him as their only Savior. But sadly, most of them would have none of it. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. God forbid. God forbid that we react as they did and reject our one and only Savior in unbelief. And you know something, my friends? In a sense, our gracious God has forbidden this for us. I want you to hear a promise that God speaks to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul in the first chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians. Paul writes, God will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the God who calls us to be faithful even to the point of death himself keeps us faithful to the point of death. He sustains us in our saving faith, in his grace and in his patience. How does he do that? Well, we know the answer very well. Faith comes from hearing the message. It is through word and sacrament that our God keeps us close to his Son. By means of that gospel message, our faith is built on a proper, solid foundation, the only proper foundation for faith, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the solid rock on which we stand by faith. And my friends, that is all part of God's patient love as well. Recently, I placed an order from Amazon. I ordered four of these. It's a magnet that you can stick on your car. I'm not sure all of you can read it, but it says, New Driver, Please Be Patient. You see, my son George is just learning to drive. And so we figured that with uh, four of these slapped on the car and maybe a couple of Valium and Dad, everything will be okay. We really want the community's patience as we're out there and he's trying to learn how to drive. My friends, without God's patience, everything would most definitely not be okay for us, would it? But in Christ, we have his patience. And it is astounding. Thanks be to God. Amen.